This evening, congregation, we would invite and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the section of Romans 10. We'll be looking specifically at verses 14 through 17, uh, but we read the chapter in its entirety. So Romans 10, and as we turn to those pages, we remind ourselves of a truth that I trust we will never forget, both as the United Reformed Churches, but also as this local particular congregation that what we have here is the very Word of God given by inspiration, a, a Word that is infallible and inerrant, a Word that is to govern our doctrine and our life. And so we read this evening from Romans 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. And again, it is to verses 14 through 17, especially tonight, that we would direct your attention. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, by way of introduction, allow me another word of explanation. Uh, You know that that's how we began this morning. A word of explanation behind the sermon selection. This morning's sermon, my goal, my desire, was that I would have clean hands. So that I would have presented uh, with all the ability that I could muster by the Spirit's enabling to present to you the gospel The very heart of the gospel, justification by faith alone. A word of explanation behind tonight's selection for a sermon. You find yourselves as a congregation in a unique position, that of being vacant, at least to some extent. Uh, No doubt you have been blessed by the ability to enjoy the labors of an interim pastor, to bring you the word faithfully week by week. Nevertheless, you are vacant. Uh, What exactly does that mean? What exactly uh, should the goal be as you move through uh, the calling process, so to speak? Uh, And so you have, I trust, underneath the oversight of the consistory, uh, put together a search committee. Uh, And a search has been made. Uh, A search for what? May I be so bold tonight as to ask you, what are you looking for? Well, I I hope that you have asked yourself that question, but I also hope that the answer has come from the Word of God. And so regardless of what God's plan is for the future in relationship to myself personally, uh, that at best is secondary. But regardless of what the future holds... My desire tonight is with the Word of God to bring you a message that may be helpful as you go through the search process. To explain to you to some extent what it is that you should be looking for. Uh, And so I have this theme based upon Romans 10 verses 14 through 17 of simply a gospel preacher. Because that... That is what you should be looking for, a gospel preacher. And I hope to unfold that uh, with three points. First of all, who he is. And then secondly, what he does. And then thirdly, why he does it. So a gospel preacher, who he is, what he does, and why he does it. Who is a gospel preacher? Very simply, I've broken it down with three statements. A gospel preacher is a man, a man called by God, and a man called by God to a office, to a particular specific office. So first of all, then, a gospel preacher is a man, a male. Now, this, of course, already sets us on a trend that is going to be countercultural. Not just in relationship to the world, but also in relationship to much, much of the broad evangelical church. How we take our stand on the authority of Scripture. 
uh, not in some male chauvinistic type of a way, but we believe that the offices, the special offices uh, of minister, of elder, and of deacon uh, have been put in place to be filled by men. Now we need to understand, and hopefully this congregation does understand, uh, and future work would have to, of course, continue to emphasize this clearly to the next generation. Uh, the whole idea of a complementarianism. That is that, first of all, there are distinct genders between male and female. And who would have thought, perhaps 20, 40, 50 years ago, that we would even have to say such a thing from the pulpit? But the depravity of our age is such that we do have to state such things from the pulpit. In the beginning, God created male and female. He created them. Now, we recognize uh, that there are a small percentages uh, of birth defects uh, that may cloud that clear binary distinction. Nevertheless, the binary distinction stands. Uh, And we as a congregation, as we stand on biblical truth, uh, we'll have to find uh, the spine, so to speak, the solid backbone of submitting ourselves to the authority of Scripture so that no matter what the winds may do outside of this church, figuratively speaking, that we would stand and that we would continue to proclaim uh, the creation ordinances of male and female and of the institution of marriage and of the sanctity of, of labor and of the Sabbath day, etc., Because for sure, these basic simple truths are under attack. Nevertheless, the scriptures are clear. For example, 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, where the Apostle Paul writes again, not just of his own initiative, but based on the authority that is given to him by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Of course, in relationship uh, to the teaching office of the ministry. So there is to be this male headship in the office uh, of the ministry, as well as the eldership and, and also the deaconry. So the first thing you are to look for in who this preacher is, is that he is a man. But not just any man. I don't know how many of you remember him. I'm sure some of you do. Uh, the Reverend Edward Knott installed me into the ministry. This was his text uh, on that brutally hot summer evening 15 years ago. And he proclaimed, not just anybody can preach. Not just anyone can stand behind a pulpit and open up a Bible and proclaim to preach. Only... Only a man called by God. Well, that begs the question, what does it mean to be called by God? And traditionally, the Reformed faith has distinguished between an internal and an external call to the ministry. So that the internal call is that burden that is placed upon the soul of a man by the Mysterious work of the Holy Spirit so that a man has to echo what Paul says. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So it should never just be, I I, I think maybe I would like to preach. I think maybe I can't find anything else to be profitable at. Maybe I'll try my hand at preaching. It should never be this type of thing. Well, I like the spotlight. I like to talk. I know something about the Bible. Maybe I'll preach. 
that is not the internal call. The internal call is when the Holy Spirit arrests a man and lays a burden upon him so that he has to preach. And then as the internal call continues to express itself, providential circumstances uh, will open up for a man to receive the necessary training. And he will receive uh, the necessary gifts or endowments uh, to proclaim the word of God. Uh, And there will be encouragement uh, along the way. Now, there will also be discouragement along the way. But all of those factors tie into the internal call. But then that must correlate with an external call. So that a congregation of God's people, blessed with the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, look upon a man and to a certain extent recognize the internal call. And so they issue an external call. Come and labor among us. Uh, You can think perhaps of the vision that the Apostle Paul had uh, of the Macedonian man saying, come over and help. Come over and help how? Come over and help by proclaiming to us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come over and help. Help lost sinners be saved by explaining and by proclaiming who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Now, the importance of this call cannot be underestimated because this is the only way for a man to properly enter into the pulpit, so to speak. Not just any man can preach. A man must be called into the office, the office of the ministry of the word and of the sacrament is to a purpose of a definite task. And the authority to accomplish that task. And so, congregation, I trust you know, but also allow me to say, I I, I do not stand here by my own initiative. I do not preach or proclaim the Word of God based upon my own authority. So you should never leave saying, well, we must believe that because the minister said so. No, the, the, the minister simply receives the message from God. So the authority is given to him to make known the will of God. And that authority is given to him by God himself. Now what this does, if the minister and if the congregation are aware that a preacher is a man, and a man called by God, and a man called by God to office, This gives the minister a certain steadfastness so that he can continue to preach the word in season and out of seasons. Because there are seasons in the ministry. There are seasons in which the people seem wonderfully warm and receptive to what the minister has to say. And then there are seasons when the congregation does not seem so warm and receptive. There are seasons in which it appears that there is much fruit upon the ministerial labors. And there are seasons in which you might say are the lean and the barren years. But if a man is convinced that he has been called by God to make known the will of God, he will then labor on. And the people, the congregation... Uh, will also labor on, so to speak, in attending to that Word of God. Knowing that when they hear faithful preaching, they are not simply hearing the words of a man, but they are hearing, thus saith the Lord. So a man called by God to a specific office. Well, what then does he do? 
That brings us into our second point, what he does. And again, I've broken this down into three simple statements. A faithful gospel preacher preaches the gospel, teaches the gospel, and adorns the gospel. A preacher preaches. Now you might say, well, that is the simplest statement I have ever heard, but allow me just for a moment to flesh it out to a certain extent, because I have heard... I have heard the following statement. He's a good minister. He just doesn't like to preach. He's a good minister. He just can't preach. And with all humility, but with all conviction, if a man doesn't love to preach for the right reasons, and if a man can't preach, He is not called to be a preacher because preaching is the heart essence of the work of the ministry. How shall they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unless they hear? Unless they hear what? A sermon. But then what exactly is it to preach? Preaching uh, is an official declaration, an official proclamation. Uh, It is similar to uh, a herald or to a town crier. Now, boys and girls, long, long ago, way before the Internet, uh, way before 24 hours, seven days a week news, uh, a town crier would have been a man appointed by a king to go to a community, to go to a, a village and to make an announcement on behalf of the king, usually something along the lines of, the king is coming. And that bore with it this implication, prepare yourself for the coming of the king. So imagine if there were no news sources. All of a sudden, all of our electronic devices went blank. Uh, but a man came, and he stood right there uh, in the main street of Pella, Iowa. And he said, I am an ambassador of the king. Now, I know we don't have kings, so we'll make it the president. He's coming. He's coming next week. Prepare yourselves. That's the idea of, of what a preacher does. He makes an official proclamation. He makes that official proclamation based upon the word of God alone. He doesn't walk into the center of the congregation and say, well, you know, I had this novel idea, or I've just come up with this recent uh, discovery. He comes and he opens up the Word of God, the living Word of God. And he says, I need to make known to you this message from the King of kings and from the Lord of lords. Now, perhaps he does that with a specific text in an expository sermon. Perhaps he works a little bit more topically uh, with a topical sermon, but using one of the confessions uh, as a guideline. But he preaches, he makes known the Word of God. He makes known the Gospel. What is the Gospel? It would be a challenge as we prepare to live out our faith for another week in the midst of our community, to ask ourselves, could we clearly delineate what the gospel is? What if tomorrow morning someone stopped you and said, I see you're a Christian, and I've heard 
I've heard Christians talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? What would you say? Well, maybe you would say, well, it's good news. Good news about what? Maybe you would begin to add and say, well, it's the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news about what about Jesus Christ? The word gospel certainly means the good news of Jesus Christ, but it, it's the pronouncement of a new era by way of redemption. Gospel is that there is this accomplishment of redemption, liberation from sin and from the consequence of sin, uh, of one's misery. So that's what the gospel preacher is called to do, to stand in the, in the center of the congregation and say, I'm going to proclaim to you the gospel, the gospel that there is a new era of redemption, of freedom for the captives, of a spiritual liberty in and through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and through Him alone. And so real preaching has to be centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ, making known with passionate fervency to the entirety of the person who is listening, addressing the mind primarily, but also the will and the emotions saying to them, there is a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is who He is, the eternal Son of God. And in the fullness of time, by the work of the Spirit, He assumed unto Himself a very real human nature. And He went through the steps of humiliation. And He went through the steps of exaltation. And He did all of that to accomplish the will of the covenant of redemption, the salvation of people who by sin have been enslaved into the bondage of misery. And then what the gospel minister has to do, perhaps not quoting verbatim, but certainly in essence, is to proclaim, whoever believes on Him, this incarnate Savior, the eternal Son of God, and also the Son of Man, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame, but shall be saved. And oh, how the hearts of God's people long to hear that message. Notice that in that message, uh, there is a wonderful broadness to it. Now, I am firmly committed to the Reformed doctrine of eternal election. But in the external call of the preaching of the gospel, whoever calls. Now you might be quick to follow up and say yes, but there is also an exclusivity there. Whoever calls will get to that. But gospel preaching needs to proclaim whoever, whether they be rich or whether they be poor, whether they be male or female, no matter what ethnicity they are, no matter what their, their past life experiences have been. And you see this in concrete pictures in the gospel narratives. Think of those who called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and found salvation. It wasn't only those who were outwardly suitable candidates to receive the kingdom of God. 
As we mentioned this morning, lepers found salvation. Prostitutes found salvation. Thieves found salvation. Murderers found salvation. Just think of the repentant thief as he hung on the one side of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how simple his call was. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And never forget the answer of our Lord. In my youth, it was verily, verily, surely, surely, truly, truly, certainly, certainly, whatever word you want. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Because whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that message is proclaimed to you also tonight. If you call on the name of the Lord in repentance and faith, you will be saved. That's the essence of the gospel proclamation. Now, not only does the gospel minister preach the gospel, but he also teaches the gospel. And so we read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, a bishop must be able to teach. He must be able to teach Now, what is it to teach? It's close to preach, but it's a little bit different. To teach is basically to communicate knowledge. To communicate knowledge uh, from one person to another person. And so the gospel minister, uh, he teaches the gospel. We might say primarily uh, in his catechetical work, uh, as he takes the youth, the covenant youth of the congregation, and sets before them, and again, in a warm, winsome, but ultimately a biblical manner, this is the truth of the gospel. This is who God is. This is what He has done in and through the Lord Jesus Christ by way of redemption. Uh, But that teaching also uh, might broaden out into various Bible study opportunities uh, and also pastoral counseling. Uh, and visitation, and all of those interactive experiences, the, the gospel preacher teaches the gospel. And so I well remember my own professor saying, no matter what it is when you are engaged in gospel ministry, if it is a visit, if it is a call to somebody, uh, you ought to always be able to say when you're leaving, I'm leaving the fragrance of Christ. No matter what you say, no matter how you stammer, no matter how you struggle through such a visit, and sometimes they can be difficult, if you can walk away saying, I taught them something about Jesus Christ, then the visit was successful. So congregation, the man that you seek, make sure whoever he is, And this is in no way self-promotion. We trust God's sovereign will. But make sure the minister you call is a man who is centered upon Jesus Christ in all aspects of his labors. May his one primary aim be to exalt Christ in your midst. Not only does the gospel preacher preach and teach, he also adorns the gospel by prayer and by godliness. 
The apostles, when they were pressed in Acts because of the growth of the church, appointed deacons, and they said, as for ourselves, we will commit ourselves uh, to prayer uh, and to preaching in essence. And so also the faithful gospel minister is a man who is fervent in prayer, interceding on behalf of the congregation, and a man who is fervent in prayer as he walks among the congregation. Because never forget, prayer Prayer is the the hidden secretive power uh, of what we would call, biblically speaking, a successful ministry uh, and a vibrant spiritual life within the congregation. Now, I know we have some theological differences uh, with the great minister Charles Spurgeon, but I think we can all appreciate uh, the powerful success of his preaching. And someone once asked him what the secret was behind the success of his powerful preaching. And he led them down, so the story goes, into the basement of the church building to a tiny little room. And he opened the door. And in that room, there were people praying. And he said, that there, that there is the power behind the pulpit. And so I would just simply make this one point of application. Pray for your pastor as he prays for you. May it be a mutual lifting one another up in prayer. Now the gospel minister will never live a life of perfection. He will be a sinner just as you are. But there ought to be a certain character a certain character about the gospel minister, uh, that he maintains uh, a life by God's grace of being above reproach. Uh, In all of his conduct, being above reproach. And so in that connection also, pray for him. Because Satan would love nothing better than to stick an arrow of a moral failure into the heart of a gospel minister. So pray. And pray without ceasing. And so we have covered to some extent what a preacher is and what he does. Uh, Then in our third point, I'd like to briefly conclude by pointing out why he does it. Why does the preacher preach? Uh, Two reasons, out of love for his people and out of love for his Christ. Uh, The preacher preaches in season and out of season. Because he has a pastoral, or at least he should have, a pastoral love for the congregation. We read of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 verse 8. And he writes, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. There ought to be the affection of Jesus Christ between uh, the preacher and his congregation. So that he loves his people. And he can call them that because he has been appointed by God to be the under-shepherd of that particular congregation. Uh, So a pastor has his people, and there ought to be a love for them because he recognizes each and every one of them bears the image of God first and foremost. Now, not all parishioners are created equal in the sense that they all are exactly identical. 
But all of them are created equal in the sense that they bear the image of God. Uh, And for that reason alone, uh, the preacher loves them. Because when he looks upon his parishioners, if he's looking upon them rightly, he's seeing something of the reflection of the God whom he loves and whom he serves. But not only image bearers, but redeemed image bearers uh, who are in need uh, of fresh administrations of the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel minister... When he looks upon the congregation, he sees people who bear the image of God, but who have also been redeemed by God, redeemed by God's grace and redeemed by God's mercy. And so even already in the salutation or in the greeting on a Sunday morning at 930, as the preacher looks at the congregation, he says, here are a people, himself included, who need to be reminded again today of the grace and of the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here are a people who need to have the Word of God expounded to them so that they might know that there is grace upon grace for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. But not only is there this love for His people, there also must be a love for His Christ. Even more deeply and fundamentally, is the fact that the preacher does what he is supposed to do out of love for his master. His master. One of the Puritans once said, and I've never quoted this because it can perhaps give the impression of a certain haughty arrogance. I trust it will not be taken in that way. One Puritan minister once said to his congregation, I will forever be your servant, but you will never be my master. Because the gospel minister ultimately has one master, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the faithful gospel preacher, when you boil it all down at the end of the day, why does he do what he does? Out of love for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. He does all that he does so that he can one day hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so with an eye upon the Lord Jesus Christ and an eye upon the needs of the people of God, the faithful gospel preacher preaches and teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the salvation of sinners. For the advancement of the kingdom of God. He labors as those men in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. With a sword in one hand and a trowel in another hand. The sword to defend against error. To defend against heresy. Uh, But just as the sword is necessary, so also is the trowel necessary. To build up the Christian church, to call sinners to repentance, to labor, to instruct, and to inform until the people of God have come to the fullness. And then to present that church as a bride to its bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why the gospel preacher preaches. And so in summary, and then a closing word of application, a gospel preacher is a man 
a man called by God, a man called by God to a specific office entrusted with a authority, but also a responsibility in which he preaches and teaches the the gospel, not adding anything to it, nor taking anything away from it. And as he preaches the gospel, he also teaches the gospel and adorns it with prayer and godliness out of love for his people and his Lord Jesus Christ. And congregation, my hope and my prayer, and again I assure you, I put myself outside of the picture of this. My hope and my prayer is that you would seek Independency upon God, just such a man. And that you, by the goodness of God, may find just such a man, whomsoever he may be. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that there is a gospel, that there is the good news of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We ask that you would help us to understand how that gospel must be clearly understood and be clearly proclaimed uh, in the faithful preaching of the word. We thank you, Lord, that although you would have been perfectly just and right to leave all of mankind in their state of condemnation, you have chosen to send forth the glad tidings of the gospel, proclaiming, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And may many, both now and in the days and the years to come, if the Lord tarries, in this congregation and in this community and in this area, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching that goes forth from this pulpit. Not so that we might be praised, not so that we might make a name for ourselves, but so that there might be thousands and ten thousands of tongues to proclaim the glory of our God. We ask all of these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.